I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke 2. And this is uh, turning into a three-part series on the improbable king. The improbable king. This uh, Jesus whom we love is often talked about in culture. He'll be put on the cover of uh, magazines you'll see, and, and there'll be documentary shows about the birth of Christ, uh, things on National Geographic or whatever um, to talk about and sort of give a, a, a tipping of the hat towards Jesus because he's the most significant person and human and the God man who ever lived. And so people sense something unique and special about him. But if you talk in terms of a true biblical faith in the Lord Jesus, the Jesus of scripture, we're talking about something entirely different than what the world presents in terms of this nod towards Jesus. True faith in Jesus Christ is self-denial, self-denial. It is a submission to the Lord Jesus. The original word in in the Bible when it's used submission, uh, the Greek word submission is hupatasso. It means to rank yourself underneath. Submission. It's coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's I will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That's saving faith. That's belief in the Lord Jesus that is required for eternal life. It's deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him with your life faith. This is a word submission is that is kind of a, not a really a well-liked word in our culture. It's a bit counterintuitive. There have been so many abuses of power that people have experienced that when they see the word submit or submission, there's a bit of a fingernails to the blackboard effect in the hearts of many. But submission is a biblical word. Mutual submission, in fact, is something that's to be carried out throughout the body of Christ every day, all the time, where we are Philippians 2, esteeming one another higher than ourselves. Within the home, there's headship and submission. In a godly husband and wife relationship, there is obedient submission that children need to have towards their parents. There is submission to governing authorities. Romans 13 speaks to that. Every time a fire truck is going by, we're supposed to pull over. We're supposed to stop at stop signs. We're supposed to submit and obey the laws of the land. Submission is all the way traceable back to the very Godhead itself, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, co-equal in power and essence. And yet in a ranking, there is a submission. Father being submitted to by the Son, the Holy Spirit submitted to the Son, and he's exalting the Son. This is in perfect unity and perfect splendor and beauty within the Godhead. And so submission is not a bad word. It is actually a very good thing. And submission is something that is a synonym for faith. When someone becomes a Christian, they become a doulos, a slave to the master. It is a beautiful thing. Submission is actually noble. 
but it has to be done with a heart of faith. And I will sort of borrow from something I read a long time ago by John Piper, that this biblical submission that is of faith is a glad submission, a glad submission. And submitting to the God of the Bible and the Lord Jesus is something that is counterintuitive to people. When you think about the Lord Jesus born in obscurity, as we talked about last week, born in a stable, born in humility. Now this is romanticized, but to genuinely be someone who gives their life to Christ is amazing. It's amazing to actually submit to the improbable king. Doing this is very odd, but it is very real. It is very dynamic. And in the world's eyes, it is a, it's an amazing contrast to, to our culture. Every time that we are submissive to the Lord Jesus in our actions, words, attitudes, in the way that we hold scripture, in the way that we worship together, we're flying in the face to the dynamics of the world that are, that are secular forms of submission, like the evils of the world, forced submission, and the abuses of power. When we come under the lordship of Christ, we're flying in the face of that because we're saying, no, we have found the one for whom it is worthy to submit to in, in perfect Um, submission to the Lord Jesus. This is what Mary did. This is exactly what Mary did. Mary is a great example of a young teenaged girl who submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, Luke, we're going to read in Luke chapters um, one and then specifically in two, um, we're going to read about a teenage girl that shows us the way to do this. In essence, Luke is saying by the Holy Spirit, if Mary, this teenage girl can submit to the Lord Jesus, guess what? You can too. You should also. Submission's not robotic. It's not raw. It's not weak. It's not lifeless. It's a Mary-like submission that is powerfully faith-filled. If you look at Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 19, Mary had just come through all kinds of of the news, the prophetic news of, of being um, impregnated by the Holy Spirit. She uh, had given birth at this point and the shepherds had come. But look at verse 19. It says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. All of what had happened to her was amazingly on display through Mary's experience as a believer. We need to understand that Mary was not supernatural. She is not a co-redemptrix as uh, Roman Catholicism teaches. She does not meet out grace to people. She's not to be worshiped. She's not to be esteemed above any other believer. She was a believer who was saved by grace and is a remarkable example to us as a woman of God, but she was anything but perfect. At the same time, we need to pay very close attention to how scripture says she pondered these things in her heart. We need to ponder the realities of the incarnation in our own heart. We need to ponder the Lord Jesus this morning, the way that she pondered the Lord Jesus. And we need to see this not as an unsanctimonious moment in Mary's life. This was a powerful circumstance that was incredibly impactful for her. 
The story is so familiar, Luke's gospel is, and the birth of Christ, that it's easy to skim over Luke's very specific and profound descriptions that he gives here. He was a Gentile doctor, and so he gave very precise detail in historic excellence through his gospel that he wrote. He wrote this gospel to win Gentiles to faith in Christ. He wrote it specifically to Theophilus. He also wrote the, um, the Acts of the Apostle as well. But we don't want to miss the energy that's involved in Luke's writing and his recounting of the events leading up to the birth of Christ, the birth of Christ, the extolling of the birth of Christ, and then Mary sitting there pondering all of these things. That reference is referenced again at, towards the end of, of chapter 2. If you, if you see in um, verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother, this is after Jesus was was older, presented at the temple as presenting himself as a 12-year-old, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. She's just pondering and thinking these things through, and I, I want us to engage on that level this morning. Don't just skim over what's called the Christmas story. So amazing things that had happened. Look at verse 11 of chapter two. It says, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. What was that announcement surrounding? Surrounding high drama. Even on a human level, there was high explosive drama around the birth of Christ. Kent Hughes captures this under the title, When God Was Made Vulnerable. Listen to this. If we imagine that Jesus was born in a freshly swept country fair stable, we miss the whole point. There was sweat and pain and blood and cries as Mary reached up to the heavens for help. The earth was cold and hard. The smell of mixed um, stench of manure and acrid straw made for a contemptible bouquet. Trembling, trembling carpenter's hands clumsily with fear, grasping God's son, slippery with blood, the baby's limbs waving helplessly as if falling through space. His face grimacing as he gasped in the cold and his cry pierced the night. This was a birth that was meant to be remembered. This was not a birth that was sort of stowed away at Mary's mother's house in Nazareth. This was a birth that was brought to Bethlehem out into a stable, something that was public, something that was heard. It wasn't to be forgotten 20 years later or denied, but instead it was public. Mary was outside in a jam-packed um, outside of a jam-packed inn, screaming until the newborn baby screamed. If you look at the scene here, you understand that Mary was thinking these things through. There was chaos all around. After the baby was born, there was the angelic host, the evangelizing shepherds, the crying newborn, and Mary, by contrast, is pensive and thinking. A part of her quiet pondering was also the fact that she was suffering from what mothers, I assume, suffer from when they have a child and go through an experience like the pain of childbirth and all of that, and all that's leading up to that. They come under this, this sort of dynamic thing called mommy amnesia where they forget about everything that just happened to them I guess as their eyes lock with a child this is by the way why we have six kids 
Um, there's a bonding that takes place. Uh, Mary had a simple love for her son as a mother, but Mary's mothering love was not just temporal. Her love was a submissive love because as she held that baby, she was also, I, I'm going to show from the reflections of what came out of her mouth and her ponderings. She had a submission, a glad submission to her child that was her newborn. She loved him as her baby, but also was submissive to him as her Lord. It's an amazing dynamic. This is, this is how radical it is to, for you personally to come in submission under the improbable king. Submission is really saving faith. It's real faith where Mary moved from what was maternal to what was eternal, eternal. And so if you're taking notes and you want to follow an outline, Mary submitted to an improbable king, and I'm defining glad submission as a synonym for saving faith. What does this look like? Number one, glad submission was by grace. Go back to Luke chapter one. Now that we've kind of, kind of opened the story up, let's go back um, and do a lead in show you what happened. If you look at verse 26 in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel of Luke one, Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Let's stop there. Gabriel, Gabriel, this archangel was addressing Mary, to, Mary as a favored one saying the Lord is with you. Again, just to emphasize, this doesn't mean Mary was superhuman, but she was greatly blessed in the uniqueness of her opportunity. She was highly blessed, it says. And this is a K. Kiratune. It's a full of grace. What does that mean? That means that grace had changed her life. If you want to sort of join in the company of Mary, you have to submit your life to the Lord Jesus. Full submission, self-denial, fully denied of self toward the Lord Jesus. And God gives you grace to do that and floods and fills your life with grace to live that. It's grace. We're saved by grace alone. Mary doesn't give grace. Mary is an example of being given grace. She's a beneficiary, not a benefactor. God is the benefactor. Who's Mary? Mary is romanticized often in our culture, as I've mentioned, so is Joseph, but she was literally a teenager. Joseph was a teenager. They were married in terms of being betrothed. They were working through the, um, the period of time in marriage that is like an engagement, but it's more formal. It's a legal marriage. You're already bound together. It's the caduceus, and it's uh, a time where couples prove their fidelity. They weren't allowed to even really touch one another at all. There was no physical relationship between them um, before the next 
um, stage of the wedding ceremony, which is hoopah, which is a modern day wedding. This is a seven day wedding that was still to come at this point, seven days. Wow. Right. That's a long time. That's a lot of uh, partying. But anyway, that was uh, that was what they were looking forward to. What was Mary's background in scripture? There's not a, a lot said about her, but you can pull little sound bites together to build a picture of who she was. She was, uh, she was a, a child in a, in a fisher's, fisherman's community, um, sort of a, a, probably a hardworking, poor family where she was very virtuous and, and godly. Her father was Eli, her sister was Salome. Salome was married to Zebedee and Zebedee grew up and they had two children named James and John, the sons of thunder. So the sons of thunder would have been Mary's nephews. I mean, it's all sort of connected together in this uh, gospel family that was uh, being, being created around the coming of Christ and the leadership of Christ. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, gave birth to John the Baptist, we know that. So this gives us a bit of a background to Mary. I, I don't know how she was steeped in scripture the way that she was, but in verse 29, it says at first she was greatly troubled when she heard the news, Luke 1, 29 from Gabriel. She was in the presence of a high ranking archangel, a supernatural being, but immediately she began to ground herself in practicality and the grounding came from God's word. Look at verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary responds to all this powerful, high level doctrine and theology with something very practical that only, um, a mom, a mom to be would say, so funny. She's like, how will this be? How can this, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How can this even happen? Even get this. But as you see, it's explained from there. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be, Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. But look at verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, if you've been paying attention in our Hebrews 11 series of late, if you've been in town for that, you know that we recently did a sermon on Sarah, who was barren, who was promised as the one who would give birth to a son and, and fulfill the great Abrahamic covenant. And, and she was laughing and sort of, you know, doubting and pondering and grasping by faith. What in the world? How can this be in, in Genesis eighteen fourteen, uh, the angel of the Lord, which probably was a Christophany said, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's the same truth. Nothing's impossible with God. Mary hears all this. 
Back to Luke 1, she says, how can this be since I am a virgin? He explains it to her. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. Nothing's impossible with God. Look at Mary's submission in verse 38. It says, Mary said, behold, I am the servant. That is the word doulos. I am the slave of the Lord. I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's amazing. This 13, 14 year old, let it be done according to your word. I'm a slave. You've explained it to me. It's coming together and I'm submissive. And that's my second point. Glad submission. It's not only by grace, it's generated by God's word. It's grounded in God's word. It's grounded. Mary describes herself as this slave. She believed what had been spoken Where does this level of submission come from? It comes from being trained in the truth. I really think if you look um, further, you know, she, in verse 39 of Luke 1, she went, she visited Elizabeth, her cousin. She's, She's connecting the dots. She went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she explained with a loud voice, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this? And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth, the believer is is submitting to the Lord who's conceived in Mary. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her from the Lord. Now in verse, verses 46 to 55, what's amazing here is if you look there at this text, and this is something you might want to do in Bible study later, but if you compare what Mary says in response to her grasp and grappling with what's happening to her. If you compare that to 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10, you understand that, that her theology was built in the Old Testament. You children who are here who are studying the word of God in Sunday school, being prayed over in the nursery, going to preschool, going to elementary school, learning from your mom and dad, the truths of scripture, learning in Christian school, learning in other arenas, learning in youth group. You have no idea what God has in store for you when he'll call your name and say, I'm going to put you to the test and make you dig very, very deeply into the reservoir of what was given to you, what's been invested in your heart. The scripture, the doctrine, the stories and the truth that you connect with, that you can pray through and you can hold on to. It's amazing. Do not underestimate the powerful gift that's been given to you by being raised in Christian community. It's amazing. And that somehow is Mary's testimony because really she's reflecting this Um, Magnificat, as it's been called, this song of praise, verses 46 to 55, reflects perfectly 1 Samuel 2. This is Hannah's prayer that she prayed where she had been barren. She'd been mocked by Elkanah, her husband's other wife who had children. And that, that wife was mocking Hannah. And so Hannah, who was barren, dedicated any son that she would have, Lord, I, I give to you in temple worship, any son to, to be a priest raised in the temple, if you will, but yet 
let me conceive. And the Lord answered that and opened her womb. By the way, incidentally, it was interesting. I was reflecting on that event from 1 Samuel 2 and remembering that when I, my freshman year in college, Christian college, surrendered to preach, I came home and it wasn't until after I came home, probably on Christmas break, that my mom came up to me and said, you know, I struggled to become pregnant. And, and so I prayed Hannah's prayer on behalf of your brother and you in terms of going in the ministry. And I said, I would just give you away. So I guess she gave me all the way to Alaska. I don't know. <laughs> Careful what you pray for. But um, if you look at 1 Samuel 2, it's not a sad thing to give your children away to the Lord's work, right? And that's the spirit that Mary has as well. But look at 1 Samuel 2, if you want to look there in your scripture, just listen. It says, Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There's none besides you. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not your arrogance come from your mouth for the Lord God is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. It goes from there. It just goes on and on and on speaking about how the Lord brings high and brings low and is strong. Verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to the king, to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. Now look at Mary's prayer. It says, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. He's looked upon, looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name and mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of the humble estate. This is uh, just a direct reflection of Hannah's prayer. Verse 53, and he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She's connecting her experience with Hannah's experience to find encouragement where Hannah gave her son to the Lord and his work, Samuel, to be a prophet, to be a priest and to be a judge of Israel's kings. You have Mary on the same mission who's offering to her son, the son of God, a prophet, priest, judge and king to the Lord and his work. Hannah had a big God perspective and so did Mary. If you want to be persevering in your faith, you have to have a big God perspective as you go through things. You have to see God as in charge. You know, the Christmas song, uh, Mary, did you know? Asked, did she know really what was going on? Did she know what big of a deal it was that that she was carrying the son of God? Did she know it? Well, she didn't exactly know how Jesus' Mary, um, G, uh, Jesus's ministry would carry out and take shape in miracle scenarios, but she did know God's word and she knew whom it was she was carrying. She understood. So point three, and I've kind of alluded to this already, it's glad submission perseveres through hard life circumstances, difficult life circumstances. 
Again, look at verse eight and we can say this isn't difficult, but this was a hard situation. This was an amazing thing for Mary to take in. It's amazing. Verse eight of chapter two. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you and you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them in heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing or this literally this, this word that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Let's stop there. So you have this thing that has happened. You have shepherds in verse 17 that are rushing into Bethlehem. You have them evangelizing the town. Did you see that? They went, verse 16, with haste and found Mary and Joseph in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the the child. They're telling everybody in the town that Jesus has come, that the angels have come and, and told them exactly where to go and that this was happening because of God's purposes. The word thing here or saying in verse 17, same word as the word rhema or rhematos. They're telling the townspeople the very thing that the angels had told them. Kind of an interesting difference in um, what's happening here. You have Mary who is pondering all these things in her heart in glad submission as, as sort of this chaotic dynamic is happening with the shepherds. The shepherds are telling the townspeople and it says um, specifically that the townspeople Verse 18, wondered at what the shepherds told them. They were astonished at it. Yeah, they were caught up in in the moment of it all. They were excited about it, but they weren't at a place, I don't think, where they were in glad submission. You have this energy, this freneticism that's going on around, and then you have true, quiet, pondering, submissive faith that's happening in the heart of Mary. There's a subtle contrast that I don't want you to miss there. In Christmas time, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of music. There's a lot of dynamic that's going on all around in the malls. And, you know, hopefully you don't have to go to a mall. Maybe you do it online now, but there's a lot of dynamic. There's a lot of energy that's happening. A lot of hoopla, a lot of sort of dynamic cultural pressures that ensue during Christmas time. There's a lot of uh, reflection and emotion around Christmas time about loved ones and different things in life, right? But really, we need to center in on the Lord Jesus and not do it in this way. Don't center in on Christ in sentimentality. Don't just be sentimental about Christ. Don't just sort of say, oh, it was a wonderful, magical thing that Christ came. See Christ as Lord over all. See God's big picture plan being fulfilled 
on earth as it is in heaven. It's an amazing thing that God fulfilled and kept his promise and sent his son so we can be secure Christians. We find our joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world can be chaotic out here and we can be safe and sound in our hearts in the temple of God where we know we are secure pondering the implications of the message. Yeah, we're filled with astonishment too, but at the same time, we are rock solid in our glad submission. So how solid was Mary? You know, there are some other things that pop up about Mary throughout the gospels that show that she wasn't perfect. Some of her appearances that come after this moment are less than stellar. 12 years later, Jesus was born, was, uh, you know, he had been born and he was growing up as a little boy and they headed to Jerusalem for Passover in chapter two. If you look over at verse 41, kind of an interesting story where Jesus enters the temple. Um, he's, you know, they left, Jesus stayed and his parents did not know it. Verse 43 says this, when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents didn't know it. So after three days, they found him. They were um, freaking out. His parents saw him, verse 48. They were astonished and his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, by the way, I understand this because I have lost a child or two in my day one of whom who will remain anonymous, who I still have PTSD. I lost, it was uh, in the zoo, not here, but some another zoo. Couldn't find that unique person. I won't look over there. But anyway, it, it was tough. It's tough. You can't, when one time um, my, when my three youngest boys were in the backyard early on, about 10 years ago when I first came here, um, they were in the backyard, fenced in, no big deal. But obviously the boys could like, unlatched the fence. So they all three were gone. Like we, we turn around, try to find them in the backyard. They're down the street. Two of them are coming back, but little Owen was, um, he had stopped traffic. And so two trucks were there. And so men were just very kindly out of their trucks, trying to like scoop him up and help him. And, uh, he was still in diapers. All that to say, yeah, I've had these amazing moments. What does this mean? Does this mean Mary was a bad person or Joseph was a bad person? No, um, they were struggling as they were normal is what they were. Listen, we do not venerate people, but we do need to follow their example of faith. We need to have the same glad submission. Incidentally, look at verse 49 of uh, chapter two. It says, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? They did not understand the saying that he spoke to them and he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And here's that word and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor of God and man. It's amazing. It's amazing to think about faith and persevering submissive faith. That's what we have to have. 18 years later, Mary and Jesus' half-brothers, his half-brothers were unbelievers. And Mary was a believer. We know that, but she was in a spiritually weakened state 18 years later. Is that normal? Is that okay to dip sometimes in your faith? Well, it is something that happens. Um, in Mark three twenty, it says Jesus' teaching ministry had reached such a fever pitch that he wasn't even able to eat at that point. It says um, Mark three twenty, they went 
Um, Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. And when his family, verse 21, heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. Can you imagine a mother looking at her son who's not eating, who's an adult son going, you are out of your mind. We need to get you out of this healing ministry and miracle ministry and teaching ministry. We need to scoop you up and feed you. Mark 3.31 says mother, his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent him, sent him and called him and a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them. He said, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. Now, Jesus was not being disrespectful to his mother, but what he was doing or his family or his half-brothers, what he was doing is putting them into the context of who he is as our Lord and the mission that he was to be a part of as this son of God who walked on earth and did this ministry. Mary at that point was misunderstanding Jesus' ministry. She was wanting special treatment and Jesus was on mission. Two years after that, Mary would face her most extreme test, having to watch her own son be crushed to death on the cross. This had been predicted 33 years earlier by Simeon. We're going to talk about that next Lord's Day by Simeon. Luke chapter 2, verse 35, if you want to look there, says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed john's gospel portrays a mother being pierced through with pain over watching her son be crucified while being crucified the son of god is loving his mother his heart was breaking for her John 19, 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. So why didn't Mary have a nervous breakdown at that moment? Do you ever think about that? It's because she had true, persevering, submissive faith. That's what got her through. That was persevering faith. We can come to the brink We can doubt Jesus's ministry in his adult life, right? That was what Mary did. Let's get him out of here. You can be falling apart. And yet you still have that love dub of a heart that's still going, still beating, even if it's barely beating in submissive, persevering faith, trusting God. That's what she was doing. That's what she was doing. How do we know that? Well, We see sort of the end of the storyline for Mary that is in Acts chapter 1 where she's in the upper room with the 120 waiting for the Holy Spirit to come for the church to be um, initiated in mission. Acts 114, it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. I love this quick reference together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers, half brothers. Think about that. They believed the ones that mocked Jesus and John seven, Hey, go down to the feast of tabernacles. They saw Jesus at the resurrection and they believed first Corinthians 15 talks about that. 
often someone's story, how it ends is the final commentary on who they were, they were really, right? The end of the story. It's the final portrait that's paint, painting Mary as a worshiper, a young teenager trained in truth, immense responsibility to, to carry, give birth to and raise the Messiah. She persevered through harsh life circumstances, witnessing her son um, be sacrificed, culminating in an unjust, cruel, torturous death by crucifixion. Ultimately, this translated into Mary persevering as a faithful worshiper and mature disciple of the Lord all the way through the Lord Jesus, his adulthood, her adulthood. What made Mary special? Well, she did have a unique privilege, but she had saving faith. Do you have saving faith? Have you submitted your life to the Lord Jesus in self-denial, full self-denial to the Lord? That's where there's joy. That's where you ponder the gospel in your heart and you know it's true and you know and you live it. And it's hard, but you persevere through this knowledge that you're treasuring up. The word treasuring is literally you're batting it around. You're, you're thinking it through. You're grinding You're never letting go of the truth and the truth is never letting go of you. This is what happened in Mary's heart. She was amazed with Jesus, but in a way that was saving. Let's be amazed. Let's be wowed by the Lord Jesus. He came and saved us, but it's all by grace that we submit to this improbable king.